0: Hello and welcome to the Teach Strong Talks podcast. My name is Sam Hart, I'm a primary school teacher on a mission to help school staff discover truly effective approaches to well-being. This podcast is all about tapping into the knowledge and experience of real experts who can break down the research and the tools that we can apply to our everyday lives to feel happier and healthier. And joining me on the podcast today is Tony Rafferty otherwise known as the Good Gut Doc on social media. (laughs) Tony is a doctor over in Ireland who has a passion for helping people keep their guts healthy and sharing the latest research around the fascinating topic that is our gut microbiome. And the gut microbiome is the focus for today's conversation. I asked Tony to explain what the gut microbiome is, how it affects our physical and mental health, what studies are telling us about this area of medicine And of course, that all important question of what can we do to optimise our gut health? Enjoy the episode. So welcome to the Teach Strong Talks podcast, Tony.
1: Hello, it's so lovely to see you. Thanks William, million for having me on. I'm very excited to talk to you.
0: Yes, me too, me too. We had a bit of a a moment, didn't we, of technical difficulties, which always seem to happen with these things, but we are, we're here, we're not in the same room, but we are face-to-face now and I'm looking forward to chatting to you.
1: Exactly. So yeah, a few technical glitches, um, but I'm in a different office now and everything seems to be running okay, so fingers
0: crossed. Exactly, exactly. So whereabouts are you joining us from, Uh, Tony? It looks very sunny where you are.
1: Yeah, it's gorgeous here today, actually. I'm joining you from Mullingar, which is about an hour outside of Dublin in the Midlands of Ireland. So usually we don't get the sunniest of weathers in the Midlands, but it's beautiful, beautiful here today. All the birds are singing and uh, all the buds are coming out in the trees. So it's gorgeous.
0: Ah, <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. I went over to Ireland a couple of years ago now, I think it was. We flew into Dublin and then we went down to Greystones to, you know, oh, go and have yeah. a swim with the happy pair. and
1: yeah. See eat you. in
0: their cafe and do a few walks around round the lakes there, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful place.
1: Oh, Greystones is like you're on holidays, actually, uh, it's summer holidays. And the, the boys at the Happy Pair are just brilliant, always full of energy, full of life. Um, and we're doing some work together actually coming up oh. in the next few months, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But that um, awesome. very exciting, and they're such an amazing amazing pair and they've just done such great things for just educating people on easy tools to eat well um which i really value and i really appreciate um and they're kind of changing that landscape in ireland and overseas about kind of educating people about what's kind of good for their health you know yeah
0: Yeah no I completely agree and I think the way they approach it is so positive it's so welcoming it's so open and they are just living proof aren't they of of how we can eat in this vibrant way and be extremely healthy and fit because I see them out on their runs and pull-ups and things like that and handstands so (laughs)
1: yeah oh it really is wonderful actually I love um I love all of the things that they incorporate into their um, kind of their model of how they present things. It's not just about diet, but there's an awful lot of other things, including like lifestyle um, strategies. And I'm very much from a medical point of view, interested in like a holistic approach to health. So very much into lifestyle medicine, mm. good nutrition and very basic things or what people perceive to be basic things from a day-to-day living point of view can have profound impact impacts on your health your well-being your physical um being so i'm i'm very kind of excited to talk yeah obviously more about all of these things because it's what i'm very passionate about
0: (laughs) yeah exactly and that echoes my kind of mission with with project teach strong is is these simple tools that teachers tas anyone that works in a school can incorporate because like you say they are very simple but can have profound effects and just if we get those basics right day in, day out, um, then it can just, it can be, it can be life-changing, I
1: think. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I really, really agree. And, you know, it wasn't until I was a little bit, like, older that I kind of realised just how precious our body is. Because Mm. when you begin working in medicine, I suppose we're in an era now where people live much longer um, and kind of chronic disease is on the rise with kind of largely how, we live our lives like a lot of non-communicable diseases. Now we know we're kind of caused by diet and lifestyle practices. And I think there's a fantastic saying kind of goes, um, like, um, genetics loads the gun, but kind Mm. of lifestyle pulls the trigger, you know? And I think working in medicine and healthcare, you you definitely see that. And the, the further that I kind of got into that journey, I was like, oh God, like our body is so precious and like modern kind of Western ways of living, they put it through some serious hardship. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, yeah, just learning the tools to live well, um, and live a happy life as well, Um, because I think when our body feels good, we feel good, like and there's such an intrinsic link between all of the different parts of our body and how it all works. Um, And, you know, I think even within kind of Western medicine, when you kind of get into the nuts and the, the bolts of it, when people come into hospital, you treat a single system. And mm-hmm. like, I think I'm very passionate about kind of taking an overall look at what's going on, on not just a physical level, but like mental, emotional, kind of on an energetic level as well, because I think there's so many layers to us as as beings, really, you know.
0: Absolutely. And I think thankfully there are more, um, medical professionals, professionals out there like yourself, who are raising the, the upping the game and 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 elevating that conversation around lifestyle medicine, and how of course all these things are interlinked, and we can't just look at the one one part, can we? Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's fascinating, and I think it's a bit of a revelation when you when you see the. Interconnectivity between all these aspects of our lifestyle and how they can influence our mood, our physical health, and everything. And so, it's just so important to, to keep having conversations like the one that I, I'm sure we're going to have today. And yes, we're going yeah. to be focusing on, we're going to hone in on on gut health, aren't we? Because that yes, is your yeah. area of expertise, and you're an area that you are very passionate about.
1: Yeah, area of
0: <laughs> lifestyle that we can. Um, we can of course change and adapt and we can look at more closely and if we if we find out just how important gut health is for our physical and mental health then of course we'll be more motivated won't we to see if there's any small tweaks that we can make um to optimize i suppose that level sorry that area of lifestyle so gut health um where did your interest in it come about where did it start
1: well, I've always loved my food, <laughs> <laughs> but from a good health perspective, I think it was really interesting. I think it initially came up, I was a marine biologist many years ago oh, wow. and there was a vet that I worked very close with on a lot of my studies and um, we were kind of doing some research or collecting samples from some of the sea turtles we were working with and he was really interested in the microbiome of um, different populations of sea turtles. And that was one of the first times that he kind of had flagged it in my brain. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting. But many years later, I kind of transitioned more into human research and I began working with preterm babies. And there was a there's a significant condition that they can get, um, which can be quite serious um, if they're born too soon. And just... Talking to the clinicians at the time, this was back when I was mainly working in research about the microbiome and how it like influenced inflammation and the gut wall and all of these things. Like it was just so interesting. And funnily enough, during that time, I went through a couple of major significant life events. I'd obviously I decided to go back and do medicine. I was leaving a country I'd lived in for six years mm. and there was a significant relationship breakdown and there was just an awful lot happening at the same time. And I found that I started to develop really bad gut issues myself, funny enough. And then that kind of linked in with anxiety. And I didn't realize at the time how intrinsically linked the gut and the brain were. And. I just became intrigued by trying to kind of fix my gut. (laughs) And I tried everything, like everything that people text me about now. I'm like, oh, I've tried that. I've tried that. Oh, I've cut that out. I've done this. I've done that. I've done the other. And it was funny because then when I actually began studying medicine and I took such a deep dive into kind of science, um, the science of the microbiome and kind of how lifestyle nutrition impacts it um, and how it can lead to things like adverse kind of negative mental head spaces I just became completely fascinated with it mm. and funnily enough actually I then started to get, very, uh, to get very heavily involved in research surrounding the microbiome and um I also had a very strong interest in kind of women's health and it kind of it kind of pulled me into um a pregnancy microbiome vaginal health um realm. Um, And then from there, it's kind of just led out um, into the nutrition side of things. But one thing that I'm so grateful about is kind of having that science-backed evidence to be able to transform my own good health. Mm. And by doing that, I feel so grateful that obviously science has provided the tools for that. But now what I would love to do is just communicate the tools to others so that they can kind of live a happier, healthy life, free from kind of um adverse kind of mental health states and just live a life where your body feels good you know Mm -hmm. and um yeah so that's kind of where I'm at but like I'm still heavily involved in various different research components and some nutrition work we're doing um and that's how it's kind of I've ended up down this route (laughs) so
0: personal and professional yeah oh wow incredible and what a um, what an important mission to be on like you said yes, sharing these yes. tools and 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 how they can um really really help people fantastic mm. and just straight away you mentioning about the link between anxiety and gut health and we we see that don't we and mm. we talk about a gut feeling or we mm. um can get pains in our stomach that that you know there's this hasn't been a physical cause. It's been it's been because we're stressed and anxious. I think anyone, everyone can, um, um, sympathize with that feeling. If you've got something that you're really nervous about, or, you know, you're about to work, walk on stage for a big speech. It's really interesting how that can affect our gut health. Um, so perhaps we can come back to that later on. And yes, we're certainly sure. going to come back to the, um, to the tools that you mentioned because, um yeah, that's what this is all about, sharing those tools to to help teachers and anyone that works in the school. Um, So but if we take a step back to begin with, because we've talked about this word, the microbiome, a couple of times, and I suppose it would be a good place to start is to just... um, you know explain what what is the gut microbiome because there there might be some listeners that have not heard this or maybe just glanced at it on social media and might be thinking well what what is my gut microbiome
1: (laughs) yes yeah I suppose that's a really great place to start and I know I'm kind of using that as a a term for uh, describing gut health and they're often kind of used kind of in tandem with each other and because if you have Good, good health. You classically or are, are believed to have a good, healthy, balanced microbiome. And the microbiome basically is a collection of trillions of different organisms um, that include like bacteria, fungi, yeasts, viruses, archaea, which existed many, many, many moons before humans did. Um, and they all live in a hopefully synergistic way in the body. Um, And funny enough, like we can have microbiomes all over our body, um, like the skin, the nose, the mouth has an oral microbiome, the vagina, various different parts of our body have different microbiomes. But when we talk about the gut microbiome, we're referring um, to this huge community um, of bugs that live in our lower gastrointestinal tract. So that's our lower intestine and essentially they live in these distinct little communities down there and they process uh, various different kind of foods that we eat and they basically help our body to live um, in a healthy kind of way if everything's balanced. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and they have so many different amazing, amazing functions and um, And that's why I'm so fascinated with the microbiome, because when something goes wrong in your gut, it tends to manifest in various different ways throughout the body. So I really feel the gut is the powerhouse of the body. And basically, by nourishing our gut, we can have an impact on our whole body. And that's kind of why I'm so fascinated with it.
0: And I think if if people are listening, it's the first time they've heard it. They might feel like I felt when I first started reading about and, and watching videos and listening to podcasts about the gut, gut microbiome where it's just like pff, a head explosion. <laughs> like, wow, we were not taught yeah. this in school, that there are no. trillions of microbes living in our gut. And like you said, uh, mm. in other areas of our body as yes, well. And yeah. the fact that they can influence. And I was listening to a podcast the other day on, on the topic of the gut microbiome and he uh, the, the guest, sorry the i think it was the guest yeah that um kind of put this spin on it and saying it that it might be that we evolved to kind of house and look after these these bacteria and these things yeah. that live inside us, not the other way around. It's like that, that's that been our purpose and how we've evolved is just to, to provide this um, home for yeah. microbes, which is um, <laughs> an interesting way of looking at it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like, I love hearing things like that. Like I just love hearing how people think about these things because mm. I suppose if you think about all the genes that make up kind of the genome in the human body, there's about 20,000 genes in our genome but if you look collectively at all of the genes in the microbiome in our gut there's about i think it's estimated to be between two and 20 million genes so essentially like there's been a book written and people talk about it we're essentially 10 percent human (laughs) and 90 percent these walking microbial factories and uh, like i find the gut microbiome fascinating because. A lot of the things that they produce, we wouldn't be able to produce for ourselves. We wouldn't be able to metabolize or take in some of the products from our food without them. So we need them, you know. Mm -hmm. And like, I just, I find it so fascinating that we've kind of evolved, um, to kind of feed the gut bugs and then they do good things for us. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's very much a synergistic um, relationship and uh, it's just fascinating. Like it's fascinating. We are more microbial DNA than we are
0: human. <laughs> Another mind blowing fact. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, um, and, and this research into it, has, it's mm. a pretty recent, Uh, discovery would i would i would i call it that i don't know but is it there's been a lot more interest in the gut microbiome in say the last 20 years is that right that it's only recently that it started to become a a real topic of interest in in the medical community and the scientific community is that right well funnily
1: enough like the interest the research into the microbiome it's been going on a good while but it's gained a lot of traction with regard to popularity right. um, in mainstream kind of medias and things like that. But like, I, when we were initially going back and forth about what, uh, what we'd be discussing today, and I kind of did a bit of research online and um, looking back to when the microbiome was, um, was first kind of noted. And it was funny because I found this report of uh, a scientist, I believe it was, called Lewinhoek, in 1681. Oh, and nice. He basically had some watery stool <laughs> that he looked down the microscope and said that he could see animals living there um, over a hundred different types. And that was back then. But I think, um, funnily enough, in the Western literature and the scientific literature, it was from about 1840 upwards when things started to kind of get a bit more interesting. And it was in the kind of the 1880s, there was a fantastic pediatrician that kind of published a really, a couple of an amazing papers. Um, looking specifically at the stool microbiome of infants that had been breastfed. Um, And he is basically the chap that kind of coined or Came found E. coli. um, And that was Dr. Ashertia himself. Uh, So he had basically hypothesized or postulated that most of the the bacteria living in the gut was E. coli. But a couple of years later, there was a fantastic guy who developed a, a technique to do anaerobic culture, which kind of, it's a different way of culturing bacteria without oxygen essentially and he cultivated or found that actually there was tons of different bacteria living in the in the in the guts of infants more in line with what we know today with all our much more sophisticated tools and we just didn't the first chap didn't have the tools to actually see that but I think what's fascinating is this was at the very end of the 19th century you know, and I just find that absolutely mind-blowing. That that's kind of where the journey started. Yeah. So I think what's been brilliant about the last 20 years is, um, as you mentioned, our tools and our techniques for actually identifying bugs has excelled. Nice. And there's been so much money kind of pumped into it now because we are realizing how important the microbiome is. And then on top of that, we're actually starting to look at not just the microbiome itself, but what the microbiome is doing? How is it the, the bugs interacting with the host, which is us, our body? Um, and what are they actually producing? What metabolites are, are they producing? Mm -hmm. And that's where all the really cool, interesting stuff is coming out. Um, And I think there's been a couple of key studies like the Human Microbiome Project, I think that was published in 2012 in Nature. They looked at nearly 250 people and essentially looked at 18 sites on the female body and 10 on the male body and looked at the community structure of the bugs living in various different niches. And they found that there was significant difference between or among the niches on each body <laughs> so that's we're kind of seeing a lot of great stuff coming out um since these amazing population-based studies uh, including the american good health project and things like that and some of the work coming out of the uk is fascinating like looking at kind of the microbiome and twins and basically even though they could be identical twins only one third of the microbiome is actually the same. So essentially what they're saying is from those studies, like two thirds of the microbiome of these identical twins is completely unique. And all of us have a, a microbiome, like a fingerprint that's just so unique. And it basically is a product of how we were born how we were fed when we first started growing up, what we were exposed to, like pets. Did we dig in the soil? Were we in, like, the countryside? Were we in the city? Were we exposed to, like, a kind of antibacterial substances, like the hygiene hypothesis and all these things? And basically, what we eat, that is one of the single biggest determinants of microbiome structure and that's kind of where I love to preach (laughs) about nutrition um because it's one of the key determinants of kind of the structure of how it how it functions and the community that that's there in the gut.
0: Wow wow thank you for, for going into the research there this is like this is fast becoming a masterclass in the gut microbiome I love it absolutely love it so um we, why don't we zoom in on some? You, you've mentioned that there are that these microbes that live inside our gut can mm. have an effect, can't they? They can influence yes. our health. So, mm. what might that look like? How does that, how does our gut microbiome affect our physical health and indeed our mental health as well?
1: Yeah. So. I suppose this is such a huge topic, but I love to talk about it because I think this is, this is the part where people can kind of see actually like this affects so many aspects of my body, you know, um, I think from a basic point of view, when you just think, you know, digestion begins before you even put food in your mouth. It's the smell of the food, the sight of the food. You're starting to produce enzymes in your mouth that help to break down food. And you have an oral microbiome, um, which is kind of already trying to kind of get in and break down kind of like simple bits and pieces in the food. That they're basically easier to digest as they go down. And they go down through the upper part of the digestive system, and we can kind of take out stuff that's accessible to us. But there are parts of food, um, generally, they tend to be things like um, uh, fermentable fibers that we can't break down or process ourselves. But they end up in the lower um, part of the gut because basically we can't digest them by ourselves. But that's where the my- microbiome comes in because they're that's their food. They love it. They love kind of these fermentable fibres that are kind of, undigestible to humans they love things like resistant starches and polyphenols that kind of create beautiful colors and fruits and veg and things like that mm-hmm. and this is where the magic kind of starts to happen because once they kind of get these foods they start gobbling away now different communities kind of um break down different fibers differently so you tend to get these kind of communities forming that kind of work on different things um, and basically, if we have a very a, a diet that's very narrow in what we're consuming, we're just going to have kind of a lower diversity of bugs in there because they're only kind of needed to break down X, Y, Z fibres. However, if we have a huge diversity of the foods that they love... They basically, there's lots of diversity in that community and they then can get to work at creating a diverse number of vitamins. They can have uh, produce like various different metabolites, chemicals, neurotransmitters, hormones, all of these things that help our body. So we'll take a little bit of a look into each of those different different areas. So as well as kind of digesting our foods, they do release things like nutrients that we won't be able to access ourselves. So that's a huge thing. They actually produce vitamins themselves, which is brilliant, like vitamin K um, and things like folic acid and all these things. They're like the gut microbiome's pivotal in in kind of the production of these vitamins that we need for normal body function. Um, from an immune system point of view, there's 70% of our immune system is actually in our gut. So there's this crazy tissue in there called gut-associated lymphoid tissue or GALT, it's called. And basically the microbiome interact with the GALT tissue and um, to kind of say to the immune system, hey, this is normal, this isn't normal, you know, and it's kind of working in this really interactive synergistic way. So generally speaking, how I knew that my gut wasn't in a good state all those years ago was because I started to develop sensitivities to different food products. Mm. And a lot of people that kind of speak to me or contact me, um, it's because they have food sensitivities. And that's a sure sign to me that there's a dysbiosis or a, a, a disharmony within the gut because your immune system is kind of firing when it really kind of shouldn't be, it's kind of in a state of hyper alert, and um, because the microbiome is kind of going, oh, this might be something you need to be worried about, you know. Um, so I think. There's been a couple of really pivotal papers over the last couple of maybe years or so with all the COVID research as well. Mm. That's kind of showing the impact of the microbiome on the immunity surrounding COVID, whether you kind of go on and progress to have long COVID um, and the long term impacts that COVID can have on the microbiome. So it's really, really interesting. And generally speaking, we know that eating well and maintaining a healthier, more diverse microbiome is going to equate to a better functioning immune system. So then outside of the immune system, you have your endocrine system. And essentially the gut is the largest endocrine organ really in the body. And an endocrine organ produces hormones. So basically like... Both men and women were walking around, we're just bags of hormones. <laughs> And what's fascinating is the microbiome can cycle hormones, it can clear hormones. And with regard to women's health, it's involved in estrogen cycling. And generally, it it possesses over 30 different genes used to to kind of create hormones. So from a hormonal point of view, it's important to have a a diverse kind of well-balanced microbiome. And in certain hormonal conditions, we know that kind of altering diet or lifestyle uh, practices can can affect these things and that's uh, that's down to kind of how the microbiome is impacted Um, another thing that kind of ties into that is the fact that the microbiome is used to kind of process and clear drugs as well so people who are on drugs um if they're taking them for for various different health complaints like there's one drug in particular it's used in, in um diabetes, and also sometimes in polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, it's called metformin. And that works by specifically modulating or changing the microbiome to increase certain species. Um, And basically in doing that, it can alter um, the course of of the disease or how we regulate things. That again ties into kind of um, our metabolism and basically, how we regulate glucose and blood sugar, and all of these things, and generally, people who have healthier or more diverse microbiomes, they tend to have less obesity, and they're able to maintain their blood sugars better. Um, and then another important thing, and I would save this towards the end of the discussion, um, is basically the link between the brain and the gut, because. Mm. I think it's so important and a lot of people will be listening, especially coming out from two years of absolute madness um, with the whole COVID situation. It's had such a negative impact on people's mental health and well-being. And especially when I was working in the hospital, I noticed over the course of the two years, people weren't eating as well. Um, and, you know, their mental health was deteriorating. We we're getting more and more burnt out as a population of healthcare workers, workers. You know, I just became so passionate with trying to promote, even within the, f- the system of the hospital, just healthier eating for the staff. <laughs> because I was like, we're all just so burnt out here. Even if we feed them healthier foods, that's going to impact the microbiome and it will impact our mental health. Yeah. And the way that this happens essentially is because We have millions of nerve endings in our gut and um, those nerve endings basically link up to this highway called the vagus nerve. And essentially the vagus nerve is what communicates then with the brain. So there's this kind of bi-directional communication. The gut is often called the second brain. So you have your main brain in your skull and your second brain in your gut. So that's why when I actually see a lot of patients who have uh, things like inflammatory bowel disease or even with people who have irritable bowel syndrome and various different things going on with their gut often they feel cloudy and they don't have great mental health and um, a lot of people who even just come in with anxiety they experience a lot of that in their gut if you say to someone can you sit with yourself for two minutes and tell me where you're feeling that they're like it's in my tummy so the kind of the mental process that's going on in the brain is manifesting as physical disturbance in the gut. And I find that fascinating. Um, but it's, it's not surprising, given that there's such an intrinsic link there. Now, the gut is amazing because within the gut itself, they metabolize and produce um, neurotransmitters, which are used to communicate signals along these really complex nerve um, pathways. And they can produce over 30 different neurotransmitters in the gut, which is just mind boggling, you know, and I just love that. So typically speaking, if someone comes to me and they're they're kind of having a lot of gut discomfort or they're having issues with this. Like I tend to recommend obviously dietary changes like diet is the single biggest way you can alter your gut microbiome, but mindfulness based practices as well. And I love those as a combination because you're working with your mind, you're working with your gut and essentially you're trying to balance or bring equilibrium to the two brains in the body um so yeah so that's like in a very nutshell kind of way they're kind of the main things um that the 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 gut can do and i suppose there's there's an amazing process that happens within the gut because when we feed it all these bits and pieces that it loves it can produce something called postbiotic or they're these little metabolites essentially um And they're most widely known as short-chain fatty acids. Mm -hmm. And these short-chain fatty acids, the best studied ones are butyrate, which is an absolute game changer for people, acetate and propionate. And essentially, these are capable of heading off around the body in the bloodstream. They can cross the blood-brain barrier, but they have an anti-inflammatory effect on the system. So people who have irritated guts or inflammation in the gut by actually nurturing the gut microbiome they produce anti-inflammatory product, uh, products that actually heal the gut lining itself, but also can reduce inflammation elsewhere in the body. So things that we know are associated with inflammation like cancer, Parkinson's, uh, diabetes, all of these things, we can ameliorate those or even prevent those by just eating eating things that facilitate the production of these amazing products by the gut microbiome.
0: Mm. The master.
1: <laughs> Sorry, there's so much information, but I'm very excited about it all. <laughs>
0: oh. But you, you did an incredible job of, of condensing it down and explaining all of those different aspects that are influenced by the gut. And yeah, just incredible. Um, so you talked about the, the influence on the immune system. I think people will find that particularly mm. interesting at the moment. Yes, and in schools, um, you know, we've been we've been very much hit by COVID, and and mm. and still now, um, every time I, I check my Twitter, there are there are teachers, TAs that are mm. that are off with it, and of course, this is having a, a, a huge impact on on the the rest of the staff the pupils families and all these things so mm. this immune system component component of the of gut health is something that we need to be talking about more so thank you for for sharing that and then yeah. that influence in, in mental health as well the the link with anxiety um just just empowering i think mm. to, to know that we've got this approach that yeah. that c- truly can help us and and you mentioned about in in hospitals serving healthy mm. food that can look after our our, our gut health and I think this is another topic of conversation that needs to be brought up in schools for pupils and for staff as well because of course we enjoy these these sweet treats that are offered in the staff room and in the in the Mm. in the school canteen but they are treats and they they should be enjoyed Mm. um rarely I suppose and what we what an empowering message to, to put across! Like, look what I'm putting in the staff room—these mm. foods that truly can influence your well-being. And I, mm. I do—it's it's something that I get passionate about as well. This nutrition component of well-being mm. that is not spoken about enough in yeah. schools, and we we too easily go down the route mm. of let's enjoy a treat let's enjoy a treat let's enjoy a treat that's the way to give people a, a, a bit of a perk and of course like i said we all enjoy a treat mm. i love a treat uh, people that listen to this and on social media know that i love my cookies and i love my granola and they do not last long in my house at all <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the point we're trying to get across is that um you know we enjoy them on the rare occasion don't we and the rest of the time we can feel empowered to know that there are healthy options that truly mm. influence our well-being so thank yeah. you so much for for breaking that all all down um yes, fascinating yeah. and, and the role of these these short chain fatty acids as well like the, that go out and can reduce inflammation mm. again this is a i just think this is something that once people know they can mm. then make some significant changes and it could really really change lives couldn't it
1: oh like the impact like the reason that I love it so much is because I've lived it myself. I've seen the significant impact it had on my body and my mental health. I I have experienced it. Um, and I have a lot of friends and family now that are kind of getting on the bandwagon <laughs> because I talk about it so much. And it's just having profound impacts on their health too, you know. The thing is, it takes time. Behaviour change takes time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always try to say to people, like, especially when you're working with patients, uh, uh, people come in, they really beat themselves up over things, like having treats and stuff like that. But at the same time, I'm always, I suppose, it's about forming new habits, habits that work for you within the constraints of your existence or your day to day. Um, Because I think it, it's easy for some people to develop a new habit because they have the support that kind of facilitates that new habit every day. and um, Whereas another person may, might not have that same support. So it's about working with the supports that you have and the barriers to change mm-hmm. and kind of identifying what the barriers are, are huge for people. And if you can sit down and work out what your barriers are and then kind of think, well, how can I get around that um, and kind of implement uh, Kind of basic tools. And um, it really does have a profound impact when you know what could potentially prevent it, you know? And then the other side of things is not to beat yourself up if you fall off the wagon.
0: Of course, of course. Yeah.
1: Like it's not about a day, uh, you know, it's about the long term journey. It's like it's kind of the consistency that you build up over the months or the years that kind of fosters or changes the, the kind of ecosystem in our gut, rather than kind of like a day where you just fall off the wagon and then you beat yourself up and don't keep going. You're better off just acknowledging, do you know what? I kind of felt like I wanted that pizza today. I've had a hard week. <laughs> and then you kind of get back on the wagon again the next day uh, because it's all about consistency, really, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and and that's okay, of course, of course. Yes, Um, yeah. Like you said, treating yourself with a bit of compassion and just saying, okay, right, now now we move on, it's it's another day. Yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Right, so you have mentioned that there are certain foods, I suppose, that we can Mm. feed our gut to, um, Help! I, I don't know. Facilitate some of these benefits. I don't know if that's the right phrase yes. to use. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah So could you could you explain a bit more about that, then, Tony? What are some yeah. foods that we should be <laughs> eating more of? And I, I, I don't know if you also want to go into if there are any foods that we should be perhaps minimising or avoiding. Mm. I'll leave that up to you.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it's just one word. We need more plants. 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 That's what we need in our diet. Um. And the reason that we need more plants is because that's where these kind of indigestible fibers come from. They only exist in plants. They only exist in plants. And um, so that's why we kind of need to maximize minimize that you know so the fiber that we consume from things like fruit veg nuts seeds kind of beans legumes and kind of spices and herbs all of these things have a profound impact on the structure and the diversity of the microbiome and basically the metabolites they're producing and how they function the bugs down there so uh, I know it can be really challenging, but what I usually say to people is sit down with a blank page and a pen at the beginning of the week and write down every new type of plant that you're eating. And actually take a week to just... Be honest with yourself and see how many you're actually eating each week because there's been some fascinating research um, that um, basically was published a couple of years ago by the American Good Health Project. They did a population-based study where they looked at about 10,000 different people. They assessed their stool samples and they did kind of really in-depth dietary assessments. And they found that people who ate 30 or more plants a week had a significantly better microbiome that was more diverse and um, than people who were eating 10 or or less plants per week, essentially. Um, And also within that, there was less antibiotic resistance, which is a huge thing within the medical world, within the globe at the moment, is this kind of antibiotic resistance. Now, I'd say it's largely probably to do with the fact that um, when people were eating more plants, um, they were reducing their meat intake. We know that basically antibiotics are given to animals and we're consuming them passively through that process. And obviously our body is becoming acclimatized to these antibiotics and developing these um, resistances. But generally speaking, for it to be as optimum as possible, I would recommend aiming for 30 or more plant species a week. And I think when I first sat down and I started kind of looking at that, I was like, wow, like you go in, you buy your broccoli, your carrots, your bits and pieces off the shelf. It's this habit every week, you know, and I think really simple tools to maximise your plant diversity because plant diversity equals microbiome diversity um is to just start adding bits and pieces to different meals. Mm. So for my breakfast, I'm a, a major overnight oat uh, fan because generally when you leave your oats soaking, it kind of increases the beta glucans in there. That's brilliant for your body. Um, and I just love adding tons of stuff because it's a really great place to just increase the diversity of plants in my diet. I put in Every different type of nut and seed you can think of. It's like bird feeding <laughs> in on my oats. And then I include lots of like easily accessible frozen berries. I just took them in the night before and then they kind of just melt into it over the night. Um and yeah as much different fruits so generally speaking my breakfast has between 10 and 15 different plant points in it um so i've already achieved what i need yeah. in the week in just one kind of meal you know half of what i need in the week is in one is in one meal so aim for 30 or more plants a week is my my recommendation and in doing that you'll ensure that you're getting enough fiber into your diet because generally speaking the rough recommendation is that you're consuming about 30 grams of fiber a week and we know that if you're eating enough of these plants you're consuming enough fiber it keeps your bells functioning regular keeps it keeps them going and um it just promotes the diversity in your diet which is brilliant um Now, there's been some fantastic research coming out about the inclusion of fermented foods in the diet. And the Sonnenberg Lab actually published a very interesting paper there recently in Cell uh, 2021, where they kind of looked at plant-based fiber intake and um, fermented food intake. Now, it was quite interesting because a lot of the research leading up until now has shown that if you increase the fiber intake in your diet, making sure that it's a diversity now and that it's not just from a teaspoon of Metamucil, (laughs) you know, Um, it needs to be a diversity of plants that you're consuming to increase the diversity of the bugs. But essentially what the Sonnenberg paper found out from cell was that um, fermented foods taken five to six times a day. Now that does seem like quite a lot, but even the inclusion of small quantities, um, you can really increase the diversity of the microbiome in the diet. And what they found was that there was an increased microbiome diversity and a reduction in body-wide inflammation um, with the increased uh, intake of fermented foods. What they found was that the plant-based dietary intake, it actually, they hypothesized or they found that there was an increase in, in an abundance of the bugs there. But they found that the diversity stayed the same, but how they function was was quite different. So that was really interesting to me. Now, it's different from some of the other papers that have been published saying that your uh, diversity, your fibre intake uh, basically increases the diversity in the gut. Um, And one of the main take home messages from all the research combined, I think, is that increasing the diversity of of, um, the plants in your diet and increasing your fiber is key to success because research suggests it will increase the diversity of the microbiome but it alters the function of the microbiome but as a part of your dietary change to include more plants include some fermented products so um, generally speaking what that paper shows is that the inflammation is going to decrease body wide, but you're also going to be um, increasing that diversity as well. Mm. So I think there are two really key things: plants and include fermented products. Um, I think, generally speaking, what I would recommend avoiding are things that create inflammation in the body. Um, now it's going to everybody's diet is going to vary here, and I think it's hard to, I suppose approach this topic so that people don't feel vilified <laughs> um but it's based on science i suppose is that i would recommend reducing or cutting out red meat altogether um and that's mainly because uh, it's classified as a carcinogen um and uh, processed meats in particular are a known carcinogen which has a horrendously detrimental effect on the microbiome and it promotes the growth of bacteria that are associated with kind of inflammatory bowel disease and um kind of inflammation that leads to colon cancer so it's one thing i would 100 strongly recommend is cutting out uh, red meat now i think the data on things like um on dairy it, like it's, it's still kind of very much a hotly um, debated topic. Um, I think dairy has been linked to various forms of cancers like breast cancers and things like that. And um, there's a lot of hormones uh, in dairy and the casein and the whey content just so far exceeds what we need as humans to grow. So generally speaking, given those studies i would suggest kind of cutting it out a lot of people i know that come in have kind of very strong sinus kind of inflammatory um response to consuming dairy products and it just goes to show that there's inflammation uh, trickling away in there but there have been some studies that do show um kind of whole milk um can reduce um, various different effects uh, within the body. So it kind of just depends where people sit on the fence. I personally don't drink any milk um, or intake any dairy um, for my own personal health (laughs) reasons as a doctor. Um, But I know that some people still have a little bit of whole milk or some people like kefir or, you know, people kind of make do with kind of what, what works for them. Um, but generally speaking, they're the kind of the main things that I'd suggest. And I think from a processed foods point of view, I would try and eliminate those if you could. So I think opt for diversity in abundance when it comes to natural plant-based products and reduce things that are processed or need to go through a, a process to end up on your plate. Because the westernized diet can have significant Impacts on our health. And we know that it leads to non communicable diseases by causing body wide inflammation. And um, even I was on a trip recently over to the States, and that really became so evident to me <laughs> yeah. because even some of the foods that I perceived as being healthy, when you pick up the packet, you're thinking, this is great. Look, it's so accessible to buy, but the stuff that was in it, I was like, wow, this is wild that this be marketed as a health food product because it really was not. So I think it's just very important to pay attention to things like that um, and opt for natural if you can. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, was that a very long-winded way of saying eat more plants, less (laughs) processed food, and cut out red meat if you can?
0: (laughs) It it was great. It it was great. Thank you for sharing. And I'd just like to echo what you said about this is... (laughs) you know talking about these things around diet they they are uh, it's a topic that can can hit very close to home to people can't it and there are all sorts of factors cultural um Um, family background and and we completely understand that and and this is not from a place of judgment like you said Mm. it's based on the science and we're just talking about I suppose, centering your diet around lots of these whole food plant-based ingredients yeah and and you know I'll, i'll uh quote, Michael Pollan, who I, th- I believe says, eat real food, not too much, mostly plants. I think that's yes. his, his yes. little yes. snippet, yes. isn't it? And, yes. and you know, <laughs> if, if the world stuck to that, to that kind of criteria, yeah. then it would look different, wouldn't it? And of course, then there might be some, um, you know, some wheel room, should we shall we call it, to, to enjoy some of these other um, foods that you might want to include in your diet or you might not. And yeah. I, I can, you know, like I said, I agree that you have to be sensitive when when talking about these topics. But I'm I'm glad that you're kind of cutting to the chase in some respects when when talking about red meat and, and processed mm. meats because, it, it, like you said, the the World Health Organization have labelled these carcinogens, yeah. haven't they? And yes. yet we are still serving them in in schools to our children. We're still yeah. serving processed meat, sausages, bacon, um, cold meats, you know, ham, things like mm. that. These it, it from 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 the the scientific perspective these do not seem to be doing us any favors whatsoever do they and there's a yeah. whole plethora of um literature out there that would would back that up wouldn't it and so yes, i yeah. think we need to be listening to that in in schools and thinking about what foods we need to be serving less of and perhaps more of um, oh. I remember when I was in school, I suppose I
1: come from Ireland, which is a very uh, kind of heavy meat and dairy industry here. We'd get like our little cartons of milk and I used to bring in my cheese sandwich. And I just think to myself now, where was the fibre? Where was the (laughs) fibre? And even in the hospital, it drives me mad because I'm just like, oh, what are we feeding our patients? Uh, What are we feeding the staff that look after these patients? You know, like... I 100% agree with you, but there was a fascinating study that was actually done, um, which looked at, they kind of put people on a um, carnivore diet only and uh, another group of people on a a plant-based diet only. And then they did a crossover.
0: Yeah.
1: And basically the people on the carnivore diet, they had complete... Uh, distortion of, of the gut microbiome and they started to produce bugs that were um, linked to inflammatory bowel disease. Um, whereas there was a complete um, alteration, in cl- increase in diversity in the plant-based group. But well, funny enough, when they actually crossed over, the fact that the folks who were eating the all the plants and had a heavy plant intake, it actually ameliorated the impact um of the carnivorous diet when they switched. So it just goes to show, like, although people have stuff that they love in their diet, we know some of the things that we consume might not necessarily be the healthiest things for us, but we like them and it brings us joy. I do think that if, like you were saying, you centre as much of your diet around as many kind of healthy plant-based things, it can it can account and it can really reduce the impact of some of the more detrimental things. So I think work with what's right for you, but um, I 100% recommend eating more plant diversity because it will help with some of the more negative things in our, in our diet and lifestyle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great. Great. Thank you for sharing uh, again. So interesting. Um, If we, I'm going to take a step back to two of the things that you've mentioned. Mm I don't know if it's worth, um, going back over, you, you've mentioned about increasing fiber. Um, mm. Do we need to be a bit careful about increasing fiber mm. too much? Um, because yes, I think yeah. that we are, you talked about the recommendation of fiber being around 30 grams, isn't it? Mm. And we're eating, most people are eating a lot less than that, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so is it a good idea to introduce that new fiber slowly? So think about changing a meal. Because perhaps um, what some people do is they hear a conversation like this and they think, right, overnight, I'm going to up it, uh, change their diet completely, and yeah. then might feel some discomfort for a couple of days and then think, well, right, well, this obviously wasn't okay for me. It can't be healthy. So forget it. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, I, I did that myself. <laughs> I remember when I would read all the research, I was like, oh my God, that's it. I need to eat more plants. I'm going to start tomorrow. And I looked like I was about nine months pregnant for about a month. <laughs> and I had terrible abdominal distension. But, you know, I had had quite a fibre deficient way of living before that because I just did not know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, like the gut is like a muscle. It is essentially like a muscle. So if you went into the gym, you're not going to be able to lift 100 kilos straight up. You know, even if you try to lift that, you'd be like, what is this? You could pull the muscle. <laughs> um, and the gut is very much like that. You can't just go head first in and just guns blazing if you have not had a, a good kind of fiber intake leading up to that. So... One thing I'd recommend doing for people who want to eat more plants and recognize that that's something that they'd love to do. I would suggest, as you said, if you haven't had a very kind of strong ethos within your diet to eat a lot of fiber before that, change one meal Mm. and just do kind of increase your plant diversity in that one meal a day, say breakfast, like my overnight oats. That's the place where I get loads of my plant-based diversity in the morning. And that's a decision that I had made to just um, to increase the diversity in that one diet or the one dietary a pattern so i i recommend to people who are taking up this kind of approach do that and do it for a week and see how you get on like slowly you can e- increase kind of a couple of grams of fiber each week generally in the end five grams of fiber might be a good kind of approach to take and then if you're if you're finding that you're not having any any abdominal discomfort, you're not having any issues with bloating, you can kind of maybe switch to doing lunches and then yeah, switch okay. to doing dinners. Like you can really incorporate things a little bit slowly because essentially you'll go into the gym and start with your five kilo weight. And every week you go in, you might be able to lift a couple of kilos, heavier, heavier, heavier. Maybe One stage down the line, you'll be able to lift the 100 kilo weight, but it took time to get to that point. And um, I think it can be the same with the gut. Some people have absolutely no issues and can dive straight in, no problems. They probably have exposed themselves to quite a bit of fibre beforehand. but others do have some issues with it, especially people that tend to have like irritable bowel and can be a little bit more sensitive to some of these things. And um, there's a fantastic book, which I absolutely adore, um, it's fiber fueled by Dr. Will Bulswitz. Yeah. And he provides a really great 28-day plan to kind of slowly escalate um, the fibre intake in your diet. Um, and that's over four weeks. And he, it's included in the book with lots of amazing stuff about the microbiome. And he's just brought out a cookbook as well, which kind of helps um, to navigate that. And then other great resources I would recommend. Alan Desmond is just fantastic. I just love dr alan desmond and he has a book the diet revolution again that's a great resource for people um if they're kind of looking to kind of uh, get really healthy recipes to increase fiber content and he includes some information about the microbiome in there which i which i obviously love but <laughs> yeah, exactly. i'm like How does everybody not find this fascinating um <laughs> but there are some great places to start um if you're just looking to kind of slowly increase yeah, um, yeah. your intake
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. There's such useful tips and those resources that you mentioned that the, the books and the individuals who mm. I've connected with on social media as well. And yeah. like so they're, they're, they're great. Um, both of them and also yes. you can catch a podcast with them. Um, I know that I yeah. believe both of them have been on the plant proof podcast and perhaps others as well. Oh, yes. um, yeah. Great resources. So oh, really, good, yeah. <laughs> really good tips around just thinking about it one meal at a time, uh, Go, just going easy on yourself, going easy yes, on yourself and just yes, introducing yeah. it slowly. And like you yes. said, just adding those Extra plants, and this is something that I like to share and talk about a lot. Just, just give it a go. You know, add some extra beans to that spaghetti bolognese that you would normally make, and yes. sprinkle some extra seeds on top of your overnight oats. Like you, like you said, it's just those little approaches, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> and then, sorry, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Tony, was um, fermented foods because you've mentioned fermented foods, mm. but perhaps some people listening aren't sure what you mean by fermented foods. Um, course, so, could you yes. just? Sorry, yeah, no, of course. No, <laughs> yes. you could kind (laughs) Of just uh, list a couple and perhaps uh, any I don't know any that you recommend. Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, Well, fermented foods essentially are a natural source of probiotic. So, uh, like probiotics have basically become this mainstream, amazingly well marketed um, tool that. Basically, companies are saying for good, good health you need to take a probiotic, which essentially is not the case um, for many, many things and for many reasons. Now, there are a couple of indications for probiotic use, which are uh, which are brilliant, and obviously we can talk about that, or or if people want to contact me, we can go into it in a bit more detail. But generally speaking, you can actually get naturally occurring probiotics from food. And a a really great way of getting naturally occurring probiotics are from fermented foods. So fermented foods include things like sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, things like kefir. I make water kefir myself at home. I make kimchi and uh, sauerkraut and I make kombucha myself. It's actually really, really easy. And it's a super fun way to kind of make kind of your own food. Um, I have lots of jars bubbling away (laughs) on the countertop with all these different things. But essentially, if you want to buy them, you can um, buy them quite easily nowadays because I think that they're recognised for their health benefits. And um, the research, it's generally it's kind of at a starting point with the fermented food um, and the gut microbiome. I think we definitely have... Um, some space to do some really great clinical trials but things like the trial from the Sonnenberg lab that I just uh, talked about there recently they're all great starting blocks to kind of look at the impacts that that um, fermented foods have um Mm. but essentially they're naturally occurring probiotics and the bugs that then form in in the in the food products as they're fermenting. They basically help to partially digest some of the food fibers. They make vitamins and minerals more accessible to us. And essentially when you're consuming them, you're getting all of those healthy bits and pieces and you're getting the bug or the probiotic um, as well, which is amazing and something that buying a pill on the counter just does not have. You don't get any of those uh, benefits whereas you do when you're actually eating the fermented food product. So I'd recommend to go there as a first call. Yeah, interesting. But yeah, I think, but as you were saying earlier with fibre, some people can react a little bit sometimes to fermented food. So that would be another thing I'd say to just slowly step up as well.
0: Yeah, don't just jump into that six servings a day straight away. <laughs> yes! That's could be uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> uh, interesting. So kimchi, like you said, kefir, um, sauerkraut, like you said, we can buy these things in the supermarket. They can be a bit pricey, can't they? So like yeah. you said, these things, mm. they, they can be easily made at home. And but I, I might get in touch with you after this to find out your recipes for sauerkraut and kimchi because it's something that I've been wanting to do for a while and you've inspired yeah. me. I, I definitely want to to try it after this conversation. Um, uh, I, I did try making um, kombucha, but it was like yeah. the, the temperature wasn't quite quite right oh, in my yes, kitchen, yeah. I believe. So it got very mouldy very quickly, and you, you have to oh. be careful there, don't you? And yeah, so I ruined yeah. the, uh, the scoby. But, but there we go.
1: You know, with, with, I've had one or two issues with the same. If the temperatures are too low or you don't, generally speaking, you need kind of the sugar so that it can ferment. And right. when I first started, it's like, I don't want all this sugar in my drink. But essentially what the process is that the SCOBY, which is this kind of symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, it's SCOBY is the, the acronym. And, yes. um, but all the bacteria there help to ferment the sugars and break them all down. Um, so you kind of need it to create the the environment to allow it to grow the only thing is when you're buying kombucha over the counter in the shop i would say to you just keep an eye on the sugar content because when you're making it at home you can monitor these things and you can kind of you know you can taste it as you're going along and kind of pick you can kind of pick to drink it at a time when. the sugar has been broken down but to kind of make it commercially acceptable for people tons of additional sugars and additives are added in so opt for organic if you can though it can be pricey so as you say I recommend definitely if you can have some space at home it's a super really fun sciencey way especially with the kids if you have them to get into kind of creating these cool kind of food experiments that you can enjoy and nurture your gut with afterwards.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, Actually, yeah. quite quite recently, I went down to London to deliver a nutrition workshop. And, and part Amazing. of that, we, we talked about the gut microbiome and gut health and some of the foods that we can eat uh, to to nurture our gut health. And after that, about a week later, one of the, the, the deputy head there, messaged me and said uh, look we've started making at school our own kombucha I was like wow it must That's be maybe cool. the first school perhaps in the in the <laughs> in England where the staff are getting on board and really thinking about their microbiome and how they can include fermented foods to boost their well-being so I was like yes wow, what a win what a win <laughs> yes
1: yes yes right. I love it
0: so I, I had one more kind of um question to ask but i realize that we've been going for an hour now if you need to go tony (laughs) that's absolutely fine um how are you for time are you sure? I'm Five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Fantastic. So the, the other thing I was going to ask was around um, children, because uh, many mm. of uh, the listeners to the Teach Strong Talks podcast are, of course, um, teachers, TAs, um, SLT that work in a school and are either working with children or perhaps have children at home. Yes. So yeah. I don't know if you had any other quick tips, quick ideas around what are the kind of um, – Approaches that we can use with with children to boost their gut health. You've mentioned some of these foods that we can mm. start um, introducing, including from an early age and exposing children to a whole variety of plants. That's mm. always going to be a good idea, isn't it? But yes, I don't know yeah. if you had any other kind of tips and, and tricks around the, the younger generation.
1: <laughs> well, I've seen some fantastic um, posts on Instagram from uh, um, a couple of the Uh, doctors and the pediatricians that work regularly with kids and try to encourage healthy eating. And there's like, if you look up online, there's some amazing lunchbox options with like, like sliced carrots and various different bits and pieces. You can include hummus as a little option. Like, it's so funny thinking now, if I went into school with hummus and, and carrots back in the day, like it's such a gift to have these options available for us now. You know, and it's amazing. And I think they definitely should be utilised. And I think there's definitely some financially viable ways of creating healthy and diverse lunchboxes for kids going into school. So I'd encourage anybody that's listening to this to have a little, uh, have a little look online about what you can do. Um, but generally speaking, outside of kind of increasing plant-based diversity, um, Loads of things we can do from a lifestyle point of view for adults and kids can really help with um, increasing your bug diversity. And that's things like getting s- like seven to eight hours sleep a night. Like sleep is the key to success. It helps to kind of regulate our hormone cycles. And it's very heavily involved in body processes. And a lot of us cut it short continuously, just cutting an hour or two off. So I suppose making sure yourself and the kids are getting enough sleep is a big thing. Exercise. Exercise has been an amazing tool to increase um, the diversity of bugs in your gut. And exercise does help to increase the specific type of bugs that have been shown to reduce the prevalence of metabolic syndrome, um, type 2 diabetes, obesity, um, improve heart health as well. So even just doing some physical activity for 20 or 30 minutes a day, it's it's transformative and it really helps to diversify your gut drinking plenty of water people overlook that but we need water to to function um and to to keep the body processes going really well one thing that i would definitely build in and i think we're very lucky in some schools these days that they've recognized the benefits of mindfulness practice 100 i would recommend this if you can build it in there's lots of cool little apps you can get on the phone, um, and you can find meditations on YouTube and this, that and the other, but fun stuff for kids to be able to get involved in and um, to kind of build mindfulness into a daily practice for them from a young age, because it still blows my mind uh, at this day and age, how busy people's heads are. I had one very, very busy head back in the day. Um, and, you know, my friends, especially academics, like people working in medicine that that I'd be engaged with. I've loads of friends that are teachers. It is an incredibly tough job. It is so hard and it's very taxing on the mind. So building mindfulness practices in is a huge, huge thing. And then, of course, raising and highlighting awareness around smoking and alcohol can have... uh, a a huge impact. I think there was a study done even just highlighting that even if a doctor says he should give up smoking, (laughs) it has a profound impact on someone's a desire to kind of make a change so I think people um such as yourself in this teaching role you've such an amazing opportunity to influence the minds and the development of these wonderful kids um Mm. by kind of promoting these healthy lifestyle practices which is such a, a gift and a privileged position to to be in you know and um I think um I would encourage getting out and about, playing in the dirt as much as you can, yeah. because there's microbes in the soil, they're out in the environment. You know, we're interacting with the the kind of microbiome of nature every day. And that really helps to diversify our microbiome. Uh, so get, get out digging in the mud and... Um, obviously spending time in the countryside is really really brilliant but pets have a significant impact as well yeah, so yeah. like if you have pets in the household you have a more diverse microbiome as well and um, which is fantastic so there are a couple of the things i'd recommend for adults and for kids yeah. um, to get involved in because i think if you can cultivate a, a good microbiome from your early years through to adulthood like you'll really help with your physical health and your mental health. And I think um, encouraging that in our kids, which we didn't know back when I was in school, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's such a, a special time to be able to influence um, the habits and um, form re- really desirable passions and the behaviour for for when they get older and just make them aware of, how cool the body is you know and what it could do for us yeah. <laughs> it's just brilliant
0: yeah absolutely yeah let's talk about these things and all these links how these things are so interconnected aren't they and, and how they influence our health i'm yes. glad you brought up about the the going outside and and um, petting a pet you know stroking a dog or or a cat because they've picked up all these other microbes haven't they and then you yes, stroke yeah. them and then I mean just that that is fascinating as well something that we yeah. didn't know and so I just think that's a great excuse to stroke a dog. Every time I see a dog, or yeah. when I walk to school or I'm in the park, I just make a beeline and, you know, Be can I stroke your cuddles. dog? Yeah. yeah. I haven't quite said, you know, to the owner, I'm doing this because of my microbiome. I hope that's a yeah, exactly.
1: So you need <laughs> but, to start doing that now. Raise awareness.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Let's start a movement. All we'll go around petting dogs saying oh, it's good to have microbiome. Yeah. <laughs> but I, th- I think the other part of that is um, we have grown up in a, it, since i don't know that the last few decades a more um sterile world i suppose mm. haven't we everything mm. is always being cleaned washed down and bleached uh, yes. children aren't allowed to play in the dirt anymore mm. no you don't want to get dirty you don't want to get mucky and that, that that's having an influence isn't it yes. that's having an impact yeah. on our gut health and our immune system mm. um and so how great to hear from yourself and there are mm. plenty of other people out there as well saying you know let the children enjoy playing in the dirt and is it harmful if they put some of that in their mouth? Maybe, maybe not. Of course we've got to be a bit careful sometimes, (laughs) but you know. (laughs) Well, I think
1: with, um, especially it's been very challenging during the COVID period, especially for kids being born and raised during the initial years of that. And I've seen it. I've, was working in paediatrics last year and you can see the impact that that's having on kids because this sense of social connectedness which is also so important for living a long life um Mm. in research um that was kind of lost for them you know so it's very very challenging and i think there's this kind of feeling that you need to Sanitize your hands continuously. You need to be clean, clean, clean. But, like the hygiene hypothesis would suggest that basically kids that grew up in a very sterile household that used a lot of antimicrobial agents had, you know, they were more susceptible to things like asthma and eczema and these things because they couldn't cultivate a strong microbiome uh, that kind of interacted with the immune system to kind of. to, to work optimally. So, you know, I, I think we're in a bit of a tricky position in after the COVID era, I suppose, where we're so used to over sanitizing everything. Um, and it will be tricky to kind of meet that halfway so that you're protecting yourself. But at the same time, you're not doing the dog on it to to kind of completely sterilize every bug out of your vicinity because that will negatively impact your your gut microbiome and just the the microbial structure on your body in general you know yeah
0: yeah mm. it's 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 tricky isn't it like you said it's, it's about finding that balance which is hard of course yes. people are just doing the best they can and it's with yeah. a very well yes. intentioned to, yeah. to clean these things keep your children safe of course we understand that mm. but it's just this is why these conversations are important i i think to to talk about it and like you say um h- how these things all have a role in our children's health and our health yes yeah. Yeah. let's keep talking about them yeah absolutely uh, Wow. Right. Um, Tony, thank you so much um what a master class like i said before what a masterclass in in gut health and the gut microbiome i've i've just been making so many notes and thinking about which <laughs> kind of parts of this I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing on social media um, amazing but we've just covered so much we've we've covered what, what what is the gut microbiome how does it influence our health and then these these approaches that we can use to optimize this area of lifestyle so thank you so much for your for your time and your expertise oh, it's been
1: brilliant <laughs> oh, it's been such a pleasure thanks so much for having me on it's been such a great chat. i really appreciate the opportunity oh no
0: worries no worries so there are two quick questions um, mm-hmm. well quick is kind of i'll leave that up to you actually um, <laughs> two, th- two things that we finish up with on the on the show and one of them is um I like to ask every guest what three tips could you give our audience they can go away and start applying straight away I call them the three tips to thrive what, what are your three tips to thrive
1: three tips to thrive would be eat more plants that's my top tip to everybody that will listen move daily so move your body get some exercise in activity and develop a mindfulness practice so even if that's five minutes once a day or two minutes twice a day, whatever way you want to do that and find something that works for you, like whether it's meditation or like being out in nature or knitting, crocheting, colouring, whatever it is that works for you, I would build that in as a tool for, for daily health.
0: Brilliant. Love all three of those. I think anyone listening who, who knows me and knows Teach will know that those three tips are um yeah, I, I love them. And they they can, be, they can be game changers, can't they? And they oh, don't have absolutely. to be something that I always say is these these three things, they don't have to be complicated, expensive, time yeah. consuming. So many of these approaches that we see out there to health and happiness, to well-being are all about a quick fix and they're about that you need this special equipment and you need half an hour and an hour and all these things but like you said exercise moving your body we can do that by looking for opportunities in our day to move can't we Mm -hmm. and we can find the forms of exercise that we enjoy because those are the ones that we will keep doing won't we for for years and years to come Mm -hmm. and then um Mindfulness practice, of course, that can be just like you said, five minutes in the morning or just before you go to bed. Um, it could just, just, just those five minutes could change your day, could change your week, yes. could change your life. And I, I really don't think that's an exaggeration because meditation mm-hmm. is something that I introduced, um, You know, a good few years ago now, and I've kept up a a five to ten minute practice every morning, and I I think it's changed who I am and my perspective and outlook Mm. on the world. So, oh god, one hundred percent.
1: I think that's actually been the most profound uh, changer within my life has been meditation practice. Oh, 100%. Like they'd be my three pillars of daily practice. Um, so it was lovely that you were like, and I call them the pillars to all of my friends. I'm like, what are your pillars? Pick your pillars. And what, like everybody's pillars are different, but I think daily meditation practice, it, profoundly impacted my life um so I can't recommend it enough and it's hard to get into it it's so hard but I encourage people to just work through the stickiness um yeah. in a way that's manageable for for them to come out the other side because it, it truly is a gift um when you when you can sit with yourself you know yeah it's brilliant
0: definitely for sure mm. yeah yeah and that, that that working through the stickiness as you call it is, is yeah. just all part of the processes and there are yeah. some things that you can do to help that like you have mentioned that there are apps out there for guided meditations and I think that's a, a great place to start absolutely yeah. <laughs> and so then the the last final question that I like to ask is what is that one lesson that you wish you had been taught when you were younger
1: You know, I was thinking about this all week because I was like, should I say something gut related? What should I say? (laughs) But I actually I think when I really reflect on it deeply, it would be to uh, to learn to really, truly love myself. I think would be the most profound thing. Um, because growing up, I lived in a very loving household, you know, and I was very loved by family and friends. But one thing that I've realised as we get older and from working with like hundreds of patients, like friends, family, is this sense of inadequacy or not being enough, you know, or what we perceive to be success. Because, we're the only ones that can define what success is to us. You know, it's not society. So I think learning to find out who you are And learning to love that person in a very authentic, true way can be profoundly life-changing for people. Um, And I think I'm kind of moving into more holistic medical care now. And that's something that I'm trying to build into my practice with patients is to like, let's sit down and figure out who you are because that's who you need to love because you can't love anybody else unless you love yourself. So, and I know it's such a cliche, but, you know, the more self-development work I do, um, and the more patients I interact with, I think that's probably, yeah, the most important thing I wish I had learned when I was younger.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. (laughs) I I love it, and I I completely agree. This is something that, um, yeah, something that when you when you start to consider that question of who am I and yeah. how can I be a bit more kind to you to myself yes. um it's just it it just has deep and far-reaching effects I think mm-hmm. and then like you said you want to put that out there to the world and you want your friends and family to think about mm. this question as well who am I and uh, how can I strengthen this relationship with myself mm, and absolutely. what? How, how how will that change how I think and my perspective and my interactions with everyone that I come across, whether that's colleagues, mm. friends, family, strangers in the street. Mm. Um, so I, I think it's very important that we, we think about this and yeah. be a bit kinder to ourselves for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think like for many years of my life, I kind of lived this life not realizing who I even was. There was yeah. a perception of who I thought I was mm-hmm. <laughs> that wasn't actually real in a way. And it's funny when you actually sit down, you realize that. Like to live your life authentically, to be the person that you feel inside, and to to live a life in line with that, it's such a gift. But one thing that I've realized is when you actually sit down and talk to people, when they actually start to realize who they are, and they're not living in line with that, That it creates anxiety, That's what you know? It, it? So there's this underlying anxiety in people. They don't know where it comes from and it's because they're not living an authentic life. They're being so hard on themselves about day-to-day stuff, which at the end of the day, I think when you really step back and give yourself some kindness and think to yourself, would I say that to any of my closest friends and family? Because yeah. if you wouldn't say it, then why are you saying it to yourself? You know, and it's so important to kind of recognize that um, and just to be gentle with yourself. That's totally my take home message for today is just yeah. be gentle with yourself. <laughs>
0: Brilliant. I love that we've ended on this message. I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. Uh, perhaps we'll have to um, have another chat and record another episode all, all about this this topic. Um, yes. It would, yeah. would be great.
1: Yeah, it'd be amazing. It's one of my favourite things. I just think, yeah, it's so important. And I think especially in our generation and the way we live our lives this day, I think with social media and just the way the world is, it's so easy to become so detached. But um, yeah, so so definitely, I'd love Let's to make chat to you better another time. <laughs> great, great. That's amazing. Well, right. thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I loved chatting to you. It's been gorgeous to meet you, Well,
0: Me too, me too. It's been, it's been <laughs> brilliant. And I, I truly can't wait to, to put this episode out there. Thank you so much for your brilliant. time, Tony. And uh, I can't wait to stay in touch.
1: Brilliant, definitely. Thank you so much, Samuel. I'll see you again. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you again to our guest, Tony Rafferty, for that super interesting conversation all around the gut microbiome. Did you enjoy that? Did you find it interesting? I find it an absolutely fascinating topic of discussion and I just want to do my little bit to raise awareness around the gut microbiome in education get teachers TAs everyone working in the school talking about this aspect of well-being that really was one of my favorite episodes of the podcast so far so yeah I really I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did are you thinking about making any changes now to how you eat Um, are you looking at adding an extra plant to a meal here and there and are you thinking about adding some fermented foods to your diet as well I would love to hear from you if that's the case, and I'm sure Tony would too. So let us know on social media, tag both of us. That would be awesome to see. If you did enjoy the conversation, then please do share with friends, family and colleagues. Please do hit like on wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you haven't already, do follow the show as well. It's a great way of supporting me and helping me spread the word bringing all this amazing information to educators around the UK and even around the world (laughs) right I really look forward to bringing you another episode of the podcast soon and I can't wait to connect with you in the very near future